Welcome to episode number 112 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today we have back on the podcast, George Mitchkovich. We're talking about his 50 years and more of experience in dust explosion and fire safety. George, welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Good to be with you again, Chris. I'm really excited to get George back on. Last week, we talked about how he got started in combustible dust safety. We talked about an incident that changed his kind of personal and professional career direction. He's involved in process safety management, PSM, as a part of the, the, the work that he did. But he was involved in an investigation with a combustible dust explosion that, that really left a lasting impact on him. And we talked a lot about that last week. And we talked about some of the lessons that were learned through that incident and also some of the challenges that George has seen is in his experience since that time. So really want to pick up where we left off last week and in this week talk about the projects he has been involved with since this 1989 incident, how the combustible dust landscape has, has changed over time from his point of view. And I'm going to put George on the spot a little bit to, to see if he has any recommendations for, for myself and our work with Dust Safety Science, with the Dust Safety Academy, with Dust Safety Professionals with these platforms that we're building out for awareness and education, connection, and facilitating change in industries handling combustible dust. He's been a, a longtime listener and follower, for lack of a better word, of our work. I remember getting really nice emails from him back in 2017 saying, hey, Chris, I think you're on the right track here. Keep going. And it was those those emails that really kept us to, or got us to the point that we're at today. So, George, we gave some of your background in last week's episode I guess the place to kind of jump in this week is just since the 1989 incident we talked about quite a bit, what kind of projects have you been involved with with regards to, to dust explosion and fire safety since then? Well, one of the uh, results of that uh, investigation on the 89 incident was the the recognition for me personally that our technical power really and truly resides on this technology in a number of people rather than in a, in a single individual, including not only internally within the company, but also externally. So as a result of that uh, effort, uh, we began a, uh, actually the thinking around forming a, a corporate team of folks who would be interested, who could contribute, who could take back to their businesses and you know, key learnings, uh, share those with them. And so we, we, as you said before, we call this the, the DEFS, D-E-A-F-S team, which stands for Dust Explosion and Fire Safety. And uh, this group then uh, began to to meet in uh, in late '89, uh, and we would have uh, video conferencing or teleconferencing, depending who you are, at, at least uh, three times uh, uh, a year. And then we would actually meet face to face once once a year. To, and in those sessions where we met face-to-face, -face, we would go ahead and bring in external experts in the field who could then uh, uh, provide additional uh, expertise and know-how around the specific work that they were 
doing all the specific knowledge that they had that was missing within within our company and our team. And sort of the the, the culmination of this uh, effort was actually what I call a, a mini Dustex symposium. We actually met uh, for two days in uh, at a city uh, where uh, not only our team, but we invited uh, representatives from the different uh, technical vendors of the different technologies that were being used to uh, to prevent or, or mitigate uh, the effect of these uh, dust explosions. And we had also some invited some consultants in the field. And also we invited sort of the experts that resided in, in other companies in this field. And so that was sort of a, let's say a, a two, a two day symposium that really and truly uh, brought us a lot of uh, networking and leveraging that we benefited a lot from it uh, in, in future, in future years. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting to hear that. Cause I mean that a global symposium was one of the big recommendations out of the recent U S chemical safety boards report. Um, I think it's called combustible dust hazard learning review. They took a bunch of input from, uh, folks around the world on combustible dust. And one of the big feedbacks was the need for this global symposium to, to get, the industries together, but just like you're saying, to connect other folks, the, the vendors, the technical people, the experts, the consultants, and having a space where they can share information. That, I mean, that that recommendation from Chemical Safety Board came after we did our global dust safety conference last year, um, and now we're running that again this year in March. So it's it's something that's needed, and it's really interesting to see that, that you and your group were doing that back then. So it's, it's needed then as well. It's it's not something that goes away, like I think you said last week's episode. You know, we need to keep refreshing and keep connecting and keep understanding what's going on to stay with the time. So that's the point of that. If you're interested in the Global Dust Safety Conference, the, probably the best spot right at the moment is to go to dustsafetyscience.com. I'm sure we'll have a, a place where you can get more information on that if you're listening to this and interested. In terms of that project, were there, I guess, were there any other big notable projects or things that you worked on besides the symposium? Yeah, the the other the other aspect was and kind of put this thing into a bit of a more of historic uh, perspective, uh, looking at some uh, projects post eighty nine and pre eighty nine. Uh, as I said, when I worked uh, initially in co op, you no, know, the I was exposed to uh, explosion panels, and when I started working full time, then I started seeing other mechanisms, and that's the use of of inerting. Uh, in an operation that involved an organic uh, material that was uh, uh, milled, ground to a very fine uh, size, uh, average particle size of around one or two, two microns. And that material, when tested, uh, had a M minimum ignition energy of about three to five joules. It was very very sensitive to static energy being an ignition source. Then uh, we incorporated uh, the use of suppression systems in a project where the facility was processing a material that was not toxic to humans, but very toxic to the environment. So we could not install explosion panels. So we then turned to... uh, the use of suppression systems. And the fourth 
project, the fourth, well, the second project was one uh, post the 89 explosion in another application where we ended up using what I call the safe relief tubes that uh, release the, the pressure and the fire into a inside the building and in a way that is safe and sound. So that's the other aspect of sort of learning. As far as the latest, which is the, the dust hazard analysis, I, I have not really been involved, actually involved in performing one. Uh, I have kept up with it in terms of uh, the uh, the webinars, the, the materials that you have presented in terms of either training or the podcasts or other information that has come out in the in the literature. And in in my opinion, it's 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 I won't say it's identical, but it's very similar to what we would do, what we did in a process hazard analysis related to the. Uh, to the handling of combustible dust, which we which we did, that's sort of the uh, a summary of uh, of where I was, and I have done some limited uh, in my consulting work. I have dealt with some pharmaceutical companies that were vulnerable to dust explosion, dust fire, uh, combustible dust issues and really were not uh, consciously aware of the hazards that they were exposing their, the risks they were exposing their people to. And so as part of those uh, consulting opportunities brought that up to their attention uh, so they could eliminate those hazards in a relatively simple manner and thereby, thereby assure a, a, safer, a safer operation. Yeah, so we have a couple different areas here. You mentioned the the symposium, the kind of bringing people together, share and exchange ideas. Um, these these technical projects and walking through venting, nerding, suppression. Um, I think the the last one was sort of like a flame quenching tube. Is that right? Yes, the quenching tube. Yes. Okay, and you know, there's different technologies out there to do that sort of thing today. The most recent sort of unfolding would be this dust hazard analysis, and this would be just over the last couple of years. So it's interesting to see how that ties in, um, and then also just continued awareness and education throughout your your consulting role that you have now. I mean, that's a broad scope. That's from 1990 to to now, so over 20 years. How do you think the awareness of combustible dust has changed? I guess two pieces, the awareness, but also the understanding of combustible dust hazards. Have you seen a big change in that or has it been relatively same? Just talk me through what your your thoughts are on that since, uh, since you know, the 19, early 1990s, we'll say. What I will share actually is more of a perception or opinion as I cannot prove uh, statistically, you know, as statist- with the statistically valid numbers. It's hard to measure. <laughs> uh, but I usually, you know, metrics is something that uh, I use within my uh, experience in the, uh, in, in the company that I worked with. And if I look at the, the metrics, some are lagging, and of course, those are the ones that uh, sort of after the fact, and then you have the leading ones. If I look at the lagging indicators, uh, what you share with us uh, every week and in your reports 
indicates in terms of the numbers that I'm seeing, uh, in terms of you know what you can glean in terms of root causes, et cetera, which you certainly you cannot in in many of the cases, in most of the cases you can't because the you know we're not at least I am not uh, uh, can I, I'm not I cannot see the incident investigations, but it, it tells me that. Uh, if we have improved, it hasn't been very much. Okay, again, that's my 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 opinion. Perhaps it's it's an issue that uh, these facilities are uh, kind of were built to to different standards and are operated in a different way that they should be operated. That probably contributes to to these uh, to these events, and uh, and then from a from a lagging perspective, uh, if I again read uh, and interpret properly some of what I've been seeing, the the deadline for doing all of those, uh, completing all of those by everybody who is impacted, and let's say, of course, this is strictly within the USA, it's, it's not, a, not external uh, from, uh, because in, in turn of the USA, you have to do it, it's mandatory. Here we are. Uh, it hasn't been completed, so I've seen the fact that there have been some extensions, et cetera, et cetera. So, strictly from 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 those two points of analysis, leading and lagging uh, indicators, metrics, I, w- I would say that uh, uh, we haven't uh, come very far as perhaps we should. Now, from uh, from the technology, from the availability of technology, from the leveraging aspect, from the networking aspect, I think the work that you have led with your team has been an excellent and much needed contribution in a large void that existed before you started your uh, doctorate work back in 2016, 2017, and then since have uh, rightfully, because it's, it's needed, not only continued your effort to help, but also turned it in what I look to be a, a successful business. So there was this, this black hole that existed in the universe of uh, you know, the sharing the information, the availability in one place, the ability to to get uh, independent uh, consultations, et cetera, independent guidance, sometimes at a cost. Uh, I think that from that aspect, uh, what uh, the work that you and your team have uh, accomplished is, I would say, is, is astronomical. It's, it's something that we never had before and something that if folks really step back and are honest, it's something that everyone involved in involved with combustible dust in any way, shape, or form should really use what you offer as appropriate. Well, we're going to have to you on as our marketing manager, George. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, I, I'm be, I mean, the, the 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 biggest challenge that, I, that I've always faced is since that explosion in '89 was. Where do I go to get that information that I don't have, that I don't need to make the correct decision to make sure that this event, in that case, that 
that explosion that we experienced to understand it and to make sure that it never happens again. There was now not a single place that I could go to, you know, like Google things and so forth and contacted people and got information this way and the other, but no, a, a central repository of, of that, of that technology just did not exist. It, yeah, in my opinion, in, in what, in what I did, and, and again, there were, there were, there were consulting firms at that point in time too, that, that were dealing with, I think the difference that I see between what you have done, Chris, and the other people, so it's tri- the, the other people that I, with the other companies that I, I was aware of were looking at it strictly as a business. Okay. I, I would offer that in your personal case, you have gone beyond the business piece and offered a lot of other mechanisms and opportunities for those who are interested can learn about this in, in many different ways, fashions or forms without having to pay you a single cent. And, 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 and the discussion we're having this morning, you, you're taking your time to speak with me on a, on a subject that I uh, value and I'm passionate about, but you know, you, you're not earning a single penny from the hour that we were having this talk. So, well, I, I appreciate those, those kind of words, George. And I, I mean, I see it as I call it standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, and you mentioned it with your defs group. So you, you were, you held a global symposium several years before we did anything even, even well, actually several years before I was born. Uh, maybe, maybe not quite, but pretty close. <laughs> but, you know, folks like when we had Dr. Vahid Evadot on, he was doing a lot of education, just doing a lot of trainings. I would call pretty similar to our, you know, webinars that we're running today. Folks like Dr. Paul Amiot, folks like Dr. Trevor Kletz. I think he got his honorary doctor later on. Um, you know, I, the the newsletter idea, I, I had it before that, but when I read Dr. – I keep calling him Dr. I think he does have his doctorate. Um, when I read Trevor Kletz's biography, that's actually how he 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 started to get people together was by a newsletter. AICHA, IKME, Medicaid O'Connor Process Safety Center, Center CCPS. These are all groups that we look to as model groups of people that have laid the groundwork for where, where we're at today. Now, we certainly, I, I think – do it in a slightly different way <laughs> than, uh, than it's been done in the past. And we're leveraging some of the tools that we have today, but it really, I, I, I would be remiss if I, you know, didn't mention some of those folks like Sam and Nam and, and Dr. Paul Amy, I was my thesis supervisor, Trevor Kletz, the Ishmi Symposium, a really great research symposium. So there's a lot of groups that have influenced what and how we do it. And then there's even more than that ind- individuals like yourselves that were pushing the I want to say pushing the boulder uphill, but maybe that doesn't. Maybe you're maybe you're nudging it downhill. Hopefully, <laughs> um, but you know, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of people trying to do this, and we're just trying to bring those folks together, give them a common place. So you mentioned the leading and lagging indicators thing. I, just, I drew a diagram here on my sheet that that might be helpful to discuss with people, and I value your input on as well. So I have three things: so leading versus lagging indicators as a, a measurement of success, whatever that is. Lessons learned and unlearned is the second item. So are we learning lessons from incidents? And then are we, are we you know, forgetting them as fast as we learn them? Because both are a challenge. We're not learning lessons, that's, that's not good. But if we're also forgetting the lessons that we've learned faster than we're learning them, then you also end up with 
if we use conservation of mass or conservation of lessons, I guess, you know, you're going to, you're going to end up uh, running out as well. And the third is the sense of vulnerability. There's three pieces to this. So lagging indicators is probably the worst thing, but it's the, the thing that, you know, that we focus on the most through our newsletters, through our incident reporting. Um, it's something that's been collected and put in textbooks um, around the world for, for many countries because it's something easier to kind of measure, to hang your hat on. It would be really beneficial to identify at a systematic level more leading indicators. And I don't know what that is. Maybe we do a, maybe we send a survey out every time we have the global dust safety conference of, to evaluate maybe competency of, of folks, you know, before there's an incident. So there's leading versus lagging metrics. The lessons unlearned, I, I must admit, I got frustrated at one point in my, in my young research career, because I would read, um, you know, reports from the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, that to read a report from 2017, and they would have the exact same incident, have the exact same processing operation, the exact same process followed, and the exact same conclusion on what needed to be be there to fix it. This is those those old you know 1920s, 1940s, 1970s, late 1800s, whatever it is, incidents just got lost to the history books. Uh, so we're trying to really create the central repository of knowledge so that we don't forget it as fast as we learn it, and also train people and educate on how to actually learn better, retain knowledge, and, and even go beyond just learning and, and moving more into understanding. And the third part is that sense of vulnerability. So every time there's a large-scale explosion, especially if you're close to it, you, you feel very vulnerable. But that goes away over time. You normalize that. If we can increase the sense of vulnerability so that people are still aware and still feel vulnerable with combustible dust without having you know a massive community-changing size explosion, then we're doing something right in our job. So I'm hoping that, that I guess wrapping all the way back, I'm hoping we can eventually identify the leading metrics to be evaluate to evaluate whether or not our, our fight against lessons unlearned and our fight against the sense of vulnerability is working. And and then maybe at some point we can stop measuring the, the lagging metrics of incidents because we'll be able to actually do away with that and get some better measurements. So I don't know, George, that was probably three years on my part worth of thinking <laughs> of, of what we're doing. Anything there that... Yeah, let me... Uh, okay, on the on the metrics, for example, uh, I would ask uh, the question generically, the work that has been done by the teams that have performed dust hazard analysis, okay, what are organizations, sites, management doing about the findings? Have goals, objectives, programs been established to address those items that need to be improved upon? Do we have an effort to recognize and celebrate those individuals or those teams or those organizations that have uh, made suggestions to improve the related uh, situations around combustible dust risks? Do we have the, the, the internal know-how to continue to maintain and sustain this, this, this effort? So all of those which are posed as questions could become 
action items and captured in in metrics. We're going to do this. Why? What? Why? How? When? And who? Okay. So that would be uh, an example of me of really leading indicators that come out out of the dust hazard analysis that then we management then would have to uh, in in whatever way fashion or form continue to govern and support and ensure that the prog- the required progress was being addressed uh, unfortunately what i've seen with some of my clients that i've worked with uh, they uh, they have in the past before I came aboard. Yeah, we did a PHA uh, ten years ago. Here it is, got a nice thick two-inch report with some addendums, etc. And it has you know, a couple of inches of dust on it. And I asked the question, "What have you done with it?" Hopefully, so, non-combustible uh, dust within within the PHA. It's done. Yeah. So again, it's it's a question of you know is that the organizations need to understand the value and the energy and the time that is spent in doing these analysis for their benefit. And the result of that is really, in my opinion, an improvement to a continuous uh, cycle of uh, improvements towards a future state never achieved, never attained of of safety excellence with combustible dust operations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm even thinking, like, if you want hard leading metrics, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but you may hear some further podcast episodes about this, but I mean, a good metric might be number of hazard analysis recommendations implemented per quarter compared to last quarter and compared to last year. If you're So that requires you then to, to have a hazard analysis done and also to be thinking about how do we implement the different items that are recommended. A global one I've thought about is is vent panels installed or dust collectors installed. <laughs> if I get the vendor vendors to send me and say, "Hey, we sent we installed whatever ten thousand vent panels last year," and track that as a, a global number, are we installing more vent panels? And I, I think more vent panels means more safety. I don't think it necessarily means that we're having more blowout, but it's a it's a simple kind of metric that might be interesting. Uh, Combustible dust cleanup hours. How many labor hours are you spending cleaning your combustible dust per quarter? And again, this has two pieces. So one is it's good to clean up the dust. So maybe it's nice to see it go up. But ultimately, you should really be focusing on more efficient ways to to handle that dust. So are you containing in the equipment? Do you have proper collection? Um, and then you're looking at cleaning. So I think that's a metric that you'd want to see go down over time. That would be a leading indicator. So if your amount of combustible dust cleaning hours is going down, and your facility's not getting more dusty, that's a good leading indicator that you're going in the right direction for combustible dust safety. It's also great as an ESH health and safety manager because then you can start to say, hey, this is the savings that we're having from implementing these systems. So we spent $100,000 on um, better technology to clean up our dust. We're actually getting you know, maybe $200,000 in, in labor hours of, of having a crew go out once a day and clean that up or... So those are some different ideas on leading metrics. And again, George is kind of pulling these what's low technology readiness level ideas out of me. <laughs> these are things I haven't thought through how to do yet, but they're, they're ideas. But I think it's important to share, especially in this case where George has such experience 
in these industries and and um i feel a little bit more open about it but anything there george any other sort of i don't know leading indicators folks can use yeah and they're the uh the the other component in in this effort has to be accountability and responsibility and the reason is in any organization that I've been with in, in operations, you always come across situations that you're dealing with other competing business-related issues, production, quality, cost, etc. And I have found that actually in terms of making sure that these things are executed properly in my uh, when I did, uh, as I said, I worked with, with teams in, a, in in my last uh, in my last uh, assignment. Actually, I, I, I came in into an operation as a PSM manager in a company that that was uh, producing, uh, in, in this case, uh, soy soy protein, and that is part of their objectives in terms of when we did the. Uh, at the end, in our case, we did it at the end of the year. Uh, I would hold my individuals accountable and responsible for instituting the related activities in their goals and objectives. And then when we dealt with the uh, evaluation of them later on, and I, I usually had a tendency of meeting with, with our folks on a quarterly basis just to see how they were progressing and do some coaching and mentoring as needed. But from a management perspective, in those situations that dealt with uh, process safety related improvements that required uh, procedures, projects, training, whatever, if they were not met as committed by the individual himself or herself, then we would have a serious conversation and it could impact uh, at the end of the year, the rating of the person who would then uh, probably, if the rating was not as good, then it would impact their their salary increase. So that piece, in, in my opinion, in, in what I've seen and done, if that is missing, because I saw that missing, seen that piece missing in my consulting work, then uh, everything just, falls by the wayside. Uh, it gets delayed, 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 forgotten, and, and gone, and not done. So that that's the other piece that I, again, in, in my personal experience, uh, has been uh, a, an extremely uh, important part to get these kind of things done and completed. Well, I think it's an important one because we talked about this a bit last week um, in the, the previous episode that we actually recorded this morning. So this morning for you, but, but last week for the listener, that you really need executive team buy-in. You need to have uh, generally the CCPS book on implementing process safety management calls for a champion of process safety and a sponsor. So the champions the interface with boots on the ground, interface with the process hazard analysis, interface on getting things done. The sponsor is the interface between that person and and the executive team, um, it's really nice when the sponsor is the leading, is to say the CEO or COO. That's a you know a really powerful combination, but it's not always the case. And the question that I kind of come back to, and I've tried to ask folks sometimes, I never get a, a really great answer. Is well, it's all good. we know that we need executive buy-in, but what do I do when we don't have it? 
uh, you know, how do we prevent a fatality at that facility from the outside looking in when we can't go top down? And I think what you're saying about accountability and responsibility and integrating that into your personnel management, I mean, obviously it's going to be hard to do that with the CEO <laughs> um, necessarily, but if you have a good enough company, you can put the systems in place to do that. But that's a great way then to start to make people care. And I've heard that one, you know, just tying your tying folks bonuses to process safety as whatever your personal opinion of that is aside, it might be an effective way to actually get process safety and more general, just, just safety into, into industry. So there's, I guess there's a whole art to figuring out what to do when you don't have executive buy-in or even personnel buy-in or, or operator buy-in. And that's where this accountability and responsibility piece comes in, in my mind, and using some of these tools then to 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 get that buy-in. Does that make any sense on your end, George? Oh, yeah, it does. That makes a lot of sense. So we covered a, a ton of ground on some of the, what is the name I wrote down here? The Chris's Systematic Global Dust Safety Implementation Framework. <laughs> and that's the name I gave to the drawing here. We'll come up with a better name in the future. Um, it has an interesting word here. It says global. and there's a, a reason for that because I don't think my job ends at the U.S. border or the Canadian border for myself. It, it really is a global effort, and that's why our, our mission of seeing one year of zero fatalities worldwide by 2038 is is worldwide. Is you know if we're not if a company is operating here safely, but they have a sister plant in in Africa or Asia, and they're they're they have you know dust everywhere, and they're one ignition source away from losing the entire plant, then then we're not doing our our job. So I know you've worked all around the world and I guess that's the kind of place I'm leading into is in your opinion, what's the level of awareness in other parts of the world? What's the level of understanding? Just where are we? And I don't exactly know what the question is, but can you give me some of your insight on what you've seen in other parts of the world? And I'd like to then go into maybe how we can improve some of those say lagging regions. Outside of, uh, of the U S and uh, I'll include Canada, U.S. as a as a one entity. I think I would have seen uh, in North America, yeah. But once you start leading, leaving in the country, other countries I've worked with have been in uh, in Mexico, in in India, in uh, Saudi Arabia, and some some other minor opportunities in in, in other locations. Uh, the the gap is palpable uh, between uh, what we have and what we practice in the in the USA versus the uh, what I what I've seen and discussed in probably at this stage of the game. Uh, if I kind of total all my visits to the different industries that are potentially have some vulnerability uh, to, to dust explosions and fires and that was handling combustible dust. It probably approaches around around 75 or so, give or take, over the last uh, 14 years. But uh, it, it's not there. I mean, and the way that I can capture that is when I've seen these operations and uh, I've brought up the the possibility of, of a given event. First of all, all I see is blank faces in front of me. It says, 
what are you talking about? It's kind of the interpretation. Of, what are you talking about, George? Yeah. And then. Or, or I don't understand English. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, no, yeah. They, 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 the folks they interact with, uh, they're, they, they speak the language well. I've, I've, with, with my background, because I've lived in a number of different countries before coming to the U.S., uh, I'm, I'm very adaptable in, in picking up accents uh, very well because of that. And, and it's not a question of unwillingness. They're very, uh, very uh, dedicated people, very educated people, people willing to learn. It's just they haven't been exposed to it for, for one reason or, or another. And when I start asking you know, additional questions to support my concern, I say, well, can, let's take a look at your uh, dust explosion data for this, uh, Particular occasion. What what is the MIE in this sift in this sifting operation? If for this dust in this sifting operation that is that is open. I mean, they have a little bit of dust uh, in in a sifter that is the, that is not covered, and uh, for whatever whatever reason, I don't know. And again, uh, if the if the information exists and it must have because. Some of those uh, units, dust collectors, do have uh, dust explosion panels, uh, but people are, are not aware of where where they can get it. So that that tells me is, and I said I'm 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 working with responsible people, usually not top management people, but the technical related people who either run the operations from a management perspective or are kind of like process engineers who are responsible for the making sure that everything runs properly. So that would be my, my answer. It's there is a, there is a vacuum in terms of my experience. Yeah. I, I mean, I would, I would say you're, you're right. And that's the case. And I think the reason comes back to the same reason that we're lagging in, in North America. It's just, it takes time to learn these things. PSM as a as a approach, process safety management is, you know, relatively new, 40, 50 years. Um, and then in combustible dust hand, handling industries, we've lagged behind that in North America. And then in other countries there's lag behind in that case. And we we are seeing a lot more activity and educated, knowledgeable folks in say in in Latin America. We've had people reach out, we had way back in episode 13 of the podcast, that was almost two and a half, three years ago, lessons learned from a, a grain style explosion in Port Aquaba in Jordan. So in the Middle East, uh, we had Kumar Rajay Segarem, I believe, on um, not too long ago on on Malaysia. And so you're actually seeing these kind of pockets pop up. Uh, New Zealand, Australia, um, and, and Asia is a really big country, or Asia is a really big continent. Um, China is a really big country. So you are seeing pockets pick up in different areas out of around Asia as well. And it's a matter of, that's one of the reasons that we try to take a global perspective is how do we transfer those lessons learned from one to the other and insurers are a big thing. And you mentioned this before that can really drive adoption, corporate values. So having a, a company that's willing to say that this is what we do and will apply across the world is, is another big driver. Just having, knowing where to go. You, I think you mentioned this kind of offhandedly that, you know, somebody might be concerned, but what do they do when they need to install equipment on their sifter, when they need to improve their sifter design? And that's actually why we created Dust Safety Professionals um, at dustsafetyprofessionals.com. Just go there. We have partners around the world that we don't know. Somebody in your region will find someone. 
um, and we'll send them out to, to help you. Because we get enough emails from other parts of the world saying, hey, I'm trying to think of the, the best one. But we, we get lots of folks that are just saying, you know, I don't know what to do. We have a fire every week. We have combustible dust all over our facility and I'm worried about my workers and I, line management's not supportive. I don't know what what to do and I feel scared. Um, we get those sort of emails. So we're trying to create pathways and frameworks for those to be passed on and to be looked at while also creating the awareness and the education that can you know, prevent us from getting that situation as well. So there's a couple of different avenues we're working at. Um, I do value your opinion on, on these different topics, I guess. So I want to kind of close up on some of the recommendations you might see for us and our work. We already mentioned a couple of really great ones, but anything else? And I think the first one on that is, is there anything else on this global perspective that we could be doing that I'm missing? So I'm thinking insurance is a driver, corporate values are a driver. Any other drivers you've seen that have been able to, like maybe you you went to some place and you said, oh, you thought, oh no, here we go again. They're going to be at a certain level of of awareness and knowledge, and you were surprised because they actually knew what they wanted to do and and uh, you know were able to get things moving. Like, are there some things you've seen work on this global perspective? Yeah, as I said, in terms of the what we with our efforts with DEF is the 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 power of networking and leveraging. Recognize, and you have to be honest with yourself. Say, look, honestly, I just do not know. That may, you know, to me, I think that that's a strength and not a weakness. Recognizing that aspect makes me a, a better employee than saying, "Oh no, I know everything." Uh, recognizing and then seeking that that assistance to help me grow and to help whatever it is that I'm dealing with. Yeah, and you hear that from the the dust hazard analysis community who's qualified who's not qualified and the statement that if you have to ask you're probably if you have to ask if you're qualified then you're probably not qualified <laughs> but it, the, the the flip side of that is it is actually a strength if you're going to have a better end product and i'll be talking about this more in the future but i think you'll actually save process safety dollars if you have the knowledge and the the understanding to be able to implement some of these systems right i like that that it's a strength to be able to admit hey and we need to bring somebody in to help us with this because we don't have the internal knowledge or to to mentor our team so that they they can get to the point where they have the knowledge or we do the report and we send it off site to get audited to make sure that includes everything we need for somebody that you know has some knowledge but maybe not everything so there's some different ways you can kind of tackle that but admitting that you you need help is a you know a really good starting point anything else on that yeah, that's it. Oh, uh, let me just, I don't know whether this is the right point or not, but uh, your your sense, uh, one of the things that you mentioned was the sense of, of vulnerability. Is, would this be the right point to address that? Or Yeah, please. Okay. I, my, my offer to you is there are two counter-opposing factors that I have experienced in my uh, life. One is culture having the right culture whatever that means and each company will have a, a different one because it's pretty much uh, dependent on on your business your people etc and having that in place the, the, the thing that I've really learned in the last uh, 10 years uh, of my uh, uh, professional career as a full-time worker is what we call in 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 a PHA is the the human factors aspect. 
the human factors aspect is the recognition to me that that is probably the most challenging. When I left, when I left the the company in 2006, to me the to me was the most challenging aspect is how to bring the right information to the individual on the ground floor who is vulnerable to that given event uh, so that he or she do the right thing every time who do it in the in the appropriate manner to basically minimize because we really cannot eliminate minimize the risk that they're potentially involved in whoever comes up and if you guys come up with a solution for that you'll probably get the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> the Nobel Dust Prize or something. <laughs> no, that's a, I mean, that's another good one. It's, it's all good to have a, a, a framework in place and a, you know, a, a 12 or a 62 step framework to do X and Y. But if we're not, if we're not getting change at a boots on the ground level or at a process equipment level such that, or, or at an executive level, I'm not saying that root cause ends at the boots on the ground, but we really need to change all those things and we're not getting change in one of those elements and we have a, a deflagration or a fire that leads to large loss. It's on us. We can have all the, all the fancy frameworks we want in the world. And, but at the end of the day, it's person to person how this works. And if we're not changing people's attitudes, perceptions, processes and routines, then, then we're going to have a hard time decreasing the number of, of decreasing this, this, uh, lagging metric of the number of explosions that's happened. Anything else for me to to lead off to leave off on this for this interview, George? Anything I missed? No, I think that's uh, I think that's going to be you know quite a quite a challenge. You know, can we deal with a high level opportunities first, and uh, you know once we uh, are able to make some progress on those, then uh, these are almost what I'll call strategic leadership type of. Uh, objectives or goals and once we get down into more the operation of the tactical which support the uh, the higher level uh, uh, leadership uh, strategic uh, you, you got to start with that first so yeah i agree and i want to say thank you again i know you spent a lot of time with me today recording podcast episodes so i do appreciate that um and and more than that i appreciate the the work and the effort you've done over the Again, over more than five decades now in these industries, um, I'm sure you've really made a difference, whether whether folks know it or not. Because when you stop something from happening, then they they never knew it was going to happen in the first place. But I'm I'm positive that uh, that you made a difference, George. I just want to say thank you for myself, um, and thank you for the focus on helping us throughout the years as well with with our path and our journey. You're very welcome, and again, uh, thank you for the efforts. And also, as you mentioned so well before, there is there are dozens of other folks uh, around the world who have uh, contributed, like uh, you know, Dr. Abadad, the uh, doc, Dr. Trevor Klatz, may he rest in peace, and CCPS and the other organizations that have really uh, allowed this whole technology to move forward. So, again, thanks and best of luck. Okay. Well, thanks, George. I'm sure you'll be watching wherever we are. So thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and George, now I'm going to forget his last name again, <laughs> George Mitch Skovich. Uh, and we've been talking through his over 50 years experience in dust explosion and fire safety. And this 
This has been a two-part episode. Last week, we talked through the early years as a co-op student, getting into a processing operation that um, had some some understanding and some implementation of combustible dust safety, through to his experience in incident investigation in a, in a life-altering incident that happened for the, the people that were involved, but also altered his kind of personal and professional journey as well. So we talked all through that in last week's episode. In this week's episode, we talked more about well, a whole, a whole breadth of, of, of topics around the status of combustible dust safety over the last number of decades. Um, we talked about the projects that George has been involved with, including uh, you know, global symposiums, bringing folks together, different technologies. We talked about DHAs and FPA 652 uh, and awareness and education over the years. Um, George had some really nice, kind words that we really appreciate about what we're doing. And I, I do want to emphasize that it is really standing on the, the shoulders of giants. I guess if I had to put it down to to one sentence, we're trying to take all the work that's been done before by all the groups and just try to frame it in the way that is the most effective for powder handling industries to to create change. So we have all this information. It's thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of, of documents and frameworks and structures and things. And, and all that's really important. And now we're trying to distill it down to what is the the next step that you need to take if you walk into your facility and you have too much dust lying around, or you have a piece of equipment that's acting up, or you have some process safety hazard. We talked through what I affectionately called Chris's global dust safety implementation framework, which had leading versus lagging metrics as one kind of area, lessons learned and unlearned. So how do we improve the lessons that we're learning, but also reduce the amount that we're, we're forgetting, and increasing the sense of vulnerability without having large loss incidents. Um, and they all feed back then to identifying how do we measure that over time and, and how we establish better leg leading metrics. George talked about accountability and responsibility. This is one that I hadn't thought about when we haven't talked about on the podcast as much, but I think it's something I'll try to dive into more because I think that's the key to unlocking. It's, all, it's, it's great when you have executive buy-in from the start, and that's important. You usually get that when you've had a large loss incident yourself, when the process safety is beginning to affect the bottom dollar, or when you have a executive team that already, or an upper management team that already has the zero kind of harm as their one of their core values. Those are sort of ways that you get buy-in right away. But if you don't have that, what does that mean? Are you just doomed to, to never have a process safety program? Well, I hope not. <laughs> so we're going to try to think of some ways to improve that. Uh, we talked through other geographies and what well, the status of combustible dust might be there, um, some advice and guidance that George has for me from his thoughts there and just closed off with some other things around what the key areas, key drivers are that, that we can impact with Dust Safety Science and the Dust Safety Academy and even the, the new platform, Dust Safety Professionals, to continue to create change in these industries. So I appreciate George's time for coming on. I will have some way for you to connect with him in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 112. Um, as always, we'll create uh, a nice PDF download for these episodes. You can get those at the show notes as well at uh, dustsafetyscience.com slash 111 or 112 for these last two episodes. And as always, I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, pointers, things that I forgot from these episodes, um, you can always email me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. Um, I, I really value your input on this, this progress and this journey that we're making together. So that will close out, and I look forward to talking again next week on the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Mm-hmm.